Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, January 6th, marks our 170th program and our, of course our first show of the new year. I'm hoping that 2021 brings us better fortune all around, and frankly, how could it get worse? <laughs> uh, today's featured Actus solution is the 2021 Actus Pocket Guide. The 2021 Actus Pocket Guide is your essential CDI resource. It includes updates to clinical diagnostic standards, the official coding guidelines, ICD-10 codes, uh, CDI critical thinking tips, and much more. It's co-written by our CDI education director here at Actus, Laurie Prescott, as well as a practicing physician steeped in the latest physician documentation terminology, Dr. James Mann. So be sure to kick off the new year with the number one CDI resource in your library today. As a reminder, you can see on your screen as a very special bonus with every purchase of this pocket guide, you'll also have access to the content and an interactive customizable online tool. So check it out today at hcmarketplace.com. All right, my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Post-Operative Respiratory Failure. I'm joined today by my co-host at left, Sharm Brody. Sharm is an instructor for the CDI boot camps and a subject matter expert for us here at Actus. She's more than 35 years in the healthcare industry, including multiple areas of nursing and a variety of roles. You probably recognize her from her work on our numerous uh, committees, our certification committee, ACTUS regulatory committee, penning a lot of those great Q&As we see in our publications, CDI journal and CDI strategies. And I want to welcome her back to the first show of 2021, Sharm Brody. Hi, thank you and happy new year to everyone. You too, Sharm. All right, next I'd like to introduce our, our very special guest today. We have with us uh, Cesar Limhoko. Uh, Dr. Limhoko is the Chief Medical Officer of T-Medicus LLC. For more than 25 years, Dr. Limhoko has delivered clinical documentation integrity services to hospitals across the country. He has built a solid reputation of integrity and accuracy through a commitment to documentation and coding excellence built on the solid foundation of the clinical truth, which, he's, uh, which is trademarked and, and for very good reason because I know he believes in that. His career path has brought him to work for a regional hospital association, a big four consulting firm and a quality improvement organization. Um, he's also a familiar face in the Actus circles and the broader healthcare industry. You might have seen him presenting at our national conference, AHIMA, HFMA, HCCA. He's spoken on ICD-10 monitor podcasts, and I'm pleased to have him kick off our first show of 2021 on an important topic. So welcome, Dr. Limhoko. Thank you, and Happy New Year to everyone. Aren't we all glad 2020 is over? That's right. Yes. COVID-19 has magically disappeared overnight, and here we are with a fresh slate to start the year. <laughs> we wish. <laughs> yeah, we wish. <laughs> all right. Let's start, as we always do, with a poll question related to today's topic. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and 
launch that on your screen. You should be seeing that appear in just a moment. Today we're asking you, how would you describe your organization's ability to accurately report post-operative respiratory failure? Would you describe it as excellent, meaning maybe just a few clarifications needed here and there? Uh, fair, you can report it, but it takes effort and careful review. Would you describe your ability to report Post-operative respiratory failure is poor, meaning it's either rarely documented and or maybe frequently overreported. Uh, don't know or not applicable. As I always say, not all of our audience are working in the acute care hospital setting. So again, how would you describe your organization's ability to accurately report post-op respiratory failure? Uh, your options are excellent, fair, poor, don't know or not applicable. All right, I'm showing about 70% of our audience has voted. So I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna close this out. And as we always do, we will come back to the results in just a few minutes. All right. Okay, as I mentioned, uh, Dr. Lumhoko is our special guest today. Dr. Lumhoko, so I want to welcome you to the show, and thanks for being a part of, of, of the podcast today. Um, let's get right into the topic. You know, this covers a, this is a difficult topic. It's, this is post-operative respiratory failure for as long as I've been around in <laughs> CDI, has been a thorn in the side of CDI specialists, as well as coding professionals for many years. Um, we were talking about the show beforehand and how we were going to put it together. It's been covered a lot in various publications and, and articles. We kind of wanted to, you, you wanted to share with us a personal incident, Dr. Lamhoko, to, to make this a little more tangible. Uh, this, is, this concerns a recent incident actually with your wife who's recovering from abdominal surgery. And so this diagnosis entered your life in a very personal way. Uh, you covered this in a couple of uh, must-read articles on LinkedIn. I'm gonna share at least one of those on today's program, but. Can you kind of relay this story for us and, and tie it into the topic today? Thank you, Brian. Um, a month ago, my wife got out of an abdominal hysterectomy procedure and was in post-op pain. She was getting out of anesthesia and her fentanyl had already worn off by the time she was placed in a regular hospital bed. She was in severe pain, and so her nurse injected IV Dilaudid as per her physician's orders. But she was sensitive to it, and her respiration started to become depressed. Her CO2 would creep up, and her oxygen stats would go down, went down to the high 80s um, average, and at the lowest it was at 83. Her monitor would go off every time this happened and the nurse would nod her and remind her to breathe. This did the trick and when she took the breaths, her CO2 and O2 would stabilize. Next time she complained of severe pain, the nurse gave her Dilaudid by IV slowly this time. And by doing that, she was able to tolerate it with no further issues. This experience shocked me because in the 25 years that I've been doing consulting and reviewing uh, cases, 
with physicians, coders, and CDI specialists. Um, I have seen things, conditions, events, maybe characterized wrongly. And I thought by sharing something that was personal may place it in the mind of folks next time as something that they should be aware of. So this story I was able to share on LinkedIn as a post. And with that post, I put out a poll uh, to see how what, what the thinking was out of all the people out there in the industry. So I said, without any physician documentation explaining what happened, what would be the most likely consideration here? And there were three choices. Post-op respiratory failure, dilated toxicity, or narcotic adverse effect. There were 150 votes and the poll closed with 21% actually saying it was post-op respiratory failure, 9% saying it was dilated toxicity, and 70% said it was a narcotic adverse effect. It struck me, uh, once, because I thought, great, people are, the majority of folks understand that this is not a respiratory failure or a complication of the surgery or a toxicity, an overdose of a drug, but was actually an effect of the narcotics that was given to her. But, but the 20% who said post-op respiratory failure and then 9% dilated toxicity kind of grated in my mind. And I thought I'd do a follow-up uh, post as an article to dive deeper into what those mean. Post-op respiratory failure is a dire condition that carries high mortality. It is a major concern for all healthcare providers with any kind of surgery because this is a serious complication. The common causes are pre-existing diseases, and that's why most people with pre-existing diseases will not, will not usually have surgery unless it is really called for. Without pre-existing diseases, the other causes, the other common causes would be a substantial pulmonary atelectasis, not just a mild uh, segmental or discoid atelectasis, but something that's more prominent, significant, can also be caused by aspiration, bronchitis, or pneumonia. Pulmonary embolism is a major, major issue. And last but not the least is ARDS, which is acute respiratory stress syndrome. So these are very serious events that happen because of the procedure. And that's why it becomes a very important thing to either capture and also code. Mm. Now, narcotics are also respiratory depressants. The respiratory depression adverse effects span the gamut of 
either just a little hypercapnia or a little hypoxia to full-on acute respiratory failure the rest to even respiratory arrest even appropriate doses can end up with some some variant of respiratory depression throughout the spectrum that I mentioned earlier in very sensitive patients. And this is actually what happened to my wife. Now, when narcotics are given in doses in excess of standard treatment, it can cause toxicity. And that's when, uh, uh, which does happen, but rarely happens in a hospital set setting. As you can see, these conditions have subtle nuances with different considerations and impact on patient management and outcomes. It's crucial to call them out appropriately. And it's not just semantics. Words do matter. It, this is not a competition or a game with no untoward consequences. Mm. Great Back example. to you, Brian. Yeah, great example. Really appreciate that. And um... Yes. Um, I'm glad your wife is doing better. Um, Dr. Lamoco, this is Sharm. I have a question for you. Why do you think postoperative respiratory failure is such a problem? Um, in my travels, I've actually had physicians tell me that they worry about it hurting their quality scores. Um, I've heard from different people that they think that the CDI and the coders are over-reporting it. Um, you yourself describe it as a misrepresented diagnosis. Can you talk through some of the issues or pitfalls that you see with this? Yeah. Definitely, Sharm. Um, and it goes both ways. Um, yes, the physicians have um, good reason to, you know, to feel uh, dreadful of post-op complications, not just post-op respiratory failure, because it does, it does show a bad mark on their capabilities. And so it becomes really important to capture them or to, to or when they are truly there. And if they, if they do happen, you need to actually describe why it happened. Because things do happen and there are reasons why they do. And if it's something that can be explained for something that's like a pre-existing disease, then it becomes less of a of an issue. If you do have a pre-existing disease that needs and calls for the surgery, the chances of getting an exacerbation after the surgery are much higher than the regular patient population. And then there are other things that 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 it can mean um, and at, at the worst at the extreme is um, either we goofed you know uh, either um, the surgery there was something with the surgery or there was something with the anesthesia or those are things that do happen and if they happen they need to be clarified and and described appropriately. Um, now, on the other side of the fence is um, the coding and the documentation of post-op respiratory failure. Um, some are quick to 
capture post-op respiratory failure when something happens right after surgery, thinking that it's something that happened, an event that happens after the surgery, and thus probably is due to the surgery. And that's why the coding guidelines um, are very clear that the physician needs to make the determination that this event that happened after surgery is the result of the surgery. And that's pretty clear in the coding clinics. The other thing that we need to be aware of is why did it happen? What were the things, what were the factors that increased the probability of this event happening after surgery? Those are the things that will be able to explain why events happen, not just after surgery, but for any reason. So anything that happens after surgery does not necessarily mean that it happened because of the surgery. And we need to be aware of that as coders and clinical documentation specialists. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Lamoko. You know, my next question, I actually received a pretty good question uh, from one of our listeners that I, ties into what I was going to ask you next. You know, I was hoping you could maybe provide a clinical scenario of, of what would be an appropriate time to query and, and when it might not be, when it might be you know, perhaps just an expected outcome of surgery. So this person, uh, one of our listener writes, our physicians, oh, cause my screen just shows that moment to bump. Hang on just a moment. Our physicians use it frequently after cabbage for normal post-op ventilation. Even after educating the surgeons, they continue to use this diagnosis because it is a pop-up option in our program, presumably maybe they're electronic. A CDI tool, for example, should we look into removing this option? Um, you know, is yes, yes. <laughs> a quick answer, yes. There you go. <laughs> um, this is the thing um, because there's a disconnect between the clinical field and and coding and clinical documentation. Um, if you if you have these kinds of prompts um, in artificial intelligence at DHR. Um, the physicians don't sometimes, as, as Sharm had mentioned earlier, some physicians are very, very wary of calling it a post-op, you know, complication. But now more and more physicians are getting the idea that if they're being queried by a coder or a CDI specialist and asking for such a condition, it may be something that may fall within the guidelines the precepts, the definition, the coding uh, of an event, and they may say, oh, maybe it's okay. And they may just say, okay, well, you know what, it will, if it, if it does um, uh, affect or impact on um, the revenue for the hospital, I'll go ahead and call it whatever, call, whatever they want me to call it, you know. So that's a disconnect, you know. In the beginning, uh, back in the 80s, you know, physicians were very much, very much wary of putting something in the record that's not fully 100%, um, you know, confirmed. And now it's the spectrum, the pendulum has, has gone to the other side when they, hey, you know what, we'll just put everything in there, including the kitchen sink. That's why the HR is full of copy and pasting of garbage. 
you know, because the more stuff that's in there, probably the 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 higher resource, the higher uh, the higher um, severity of illness, therefore the higher ENM level, therefore the high reimbursement for the physician and the provider. So this pendulum has already swung to the other side, and we've lost the story. We've lost the capture of the clinical truth. So that's where this thing is, is at nowadays. Um, I hope I answered that question. I forget the, the initial question, but <laughs> yeah, we have a follow-up question to that. It was, uh, it was someone who was asking about uh, their physicians frequently documenting uh, post-op respiratory failure after cabbage for normal post-op ventilation because it's provided as an option in, in their EHR or whatever system they're using. Right. And you know what? It all comes down to education, education, education. Yeah. People, everyone in the industry, be it clinical to clinical documentation to coding, needs to be on the same page and really be um, have at our forefront in our minds that this is this is about capturing the clinical truth. This is capturing the true clinical picture of our patients. Right. Well, Dr. Limjoko, Limhoko, this is great. Um, you know, we did receive some other questions. I'll I'll try to get you these after the show for those that are sending these in. Uh, very very good questions about uh, respiratory insufficiency and and other other issues that are kind of a little more nuanced that we might have time for today, but really appreciate receiving these. We're going to get these to you after the, after the program. And I would say also just uh, uh, to, as a, as a quick um, help to people out there, as you had mentioned before, there have been numerous articles, uh, webinars, podcasts about post-op complications, acute respiratory failure and post-op respiratory failure out there. Yep. You know, just Google it and all kinds of articles and what have you will come out. And things that you mentioned about respiratory insufficiency, what have you, are included in those articles. All right. Well, thanks. And I also will just give you a plug. I recommend following you on LinkedIn, uh, Cesar, because you do put out some thought-provoking uh, material, clinical scenarios and, well, thank you. and thought exercises. Yes, he does. Yeah. Really good stuff. All right, let's um, let's bounce back to our poll question. I'm going to go ahead and reopen that again. So what we asked folks, um, how would you describe your organization's ability to accurately report post-operative respiratory failure? And here are your results. So majority, 60% said fair. They can report it, but it does take effort and careful review. Um, your next largest bucket was poor. 16% say it's either rarely documented and or frequently overreported. 12% uh, lucky, uh, excellent, perhaps few clarifications needed. 8% don't know, and 4% uh, not applicable. So any uh, any thoughts on these poll results, Dr. Lamoko, as well as you, Charm? Anything surprise you here? I have... I have a few thoughts about that, and I think it brings back to what what the CDI profession really is all about. Um, 
in the past and still in the present, I've seen that from a physician's point of view, the clinical documentation and also coding have have come to a point wherein, let me just put it as a query, you know, you put down the clinical indications, you put down the coding guide, and you ask the question. Mm-hmm. So much so that as a physician, my initial reaction to that, you know, is that, my God, these people know what they're doing. They're putting out the clinical indicators. They're putting in the coding guidelines. They must know what they're doing. Okay. But I think we should go, that's fine, by the way, but we, go, we should go over and beyond that. And it's about actually approaching it from the point of view of, hey, doc, what I want to do is actually find out what the true clinical picture of this patient is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it looks like it may be this, but what is it really? So you put the ball back on the physician's court. So let him explain to you. And by doing so, what you do is you open up that two-sided open communications so that one, it gives you credibility for the physician because you, the physician will be saying, hey, you know what? I, it may not be that clear in what I wrote down and what I documented. And by also opening that communication, they become more open to your queries. Mm-hmm. If you come across to them as, as being that know-it-all, these are the clinical indicators, these are the coding guidelines, so therefore let me... It kind of stumps that communication thing going on it becomes one-sided right so it's really about opening up and making sure that the lines of communication are open and making sure the physicians know what this is about and it's about capturing the clinical truth all right charm any any uh, further comments from you on the poll I just did. I think, you know, I honestly, if you look back 12 years, I think you'd see probably close to the same results, um, which is kind of a sad thing to say. And maybe people are getting bombarded from all different entities as to what it is and what is expected of them to document. Um, I'm hoping, like Dr. Limhoka said, that physicians look at a query and understand what is being asked and have a conversation. And it is, it is true. It's all about education. Right. And it's true, Charm. It's about a conversation. It's a yes, two-sided don't conversation. Don't disagree with that. Yep. Well, thank you again, Dr. Lamoko. We're going to bounce over quickly to do a brief in the news segment. So again, in the news is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession, uh, or maybe that I just find interesting. Uh, <laughs> today's article is from uh, MedPage Today. It uh, is titled, you can see it on your screen there, it's written by a physician. I thought that might be a good tie-in to today's topic, a little different, but uh, it's called Making the EHR Work Better for Us and Our Patients. So you can read it here on MedPage, as I always do. I will provide the link to this article, uh, as well as Dr. Mhoko's uh, piece on LinkedIn. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a worthy read. It's not directly CDI wheelhouse, but I think there are some lessons here that maybe we can carry forward in our practice um, just briefly here. It does open with an interesting story. The piece says, the other day in the middle of a busy afternoon full of scheduled patients, I received an alert that a high priority message had been sent to me in the EHR. It read, 
patient is at the gastroenterologist's office, they need a referral faxed over immediately or they will not see her. Reason for visit, routine care. So the doctor stopped what they were doing, entered this patient's chart, looked back because for the life of me, I couldn't remember why she might be seeing her gastroenterologist. Scroll back through previous visits, um, previous referrals, as well as a most recent office visit over 18 months ago, could find no reason why she might need to see a gastroenterologist, either for follow-up of an active medical issue or routine care. She had had her colonoscopy a few years earlier and was not due for another five years. There were no telephone calls, no portal messages about newer changing symptoms. She had no history of inflammatory bowel disease or anything else that the doctor was aware of. Um, he writes here, I messaged the staff that I needed a visit uh, other than routine care to put down for the ICD-10 code as the reason for the visit. We all know about this stuff. As a justification of the insurance company while we were placing this referral, authorizing this care. Um, and then they, they pose the question here, this the physician uh, author of this piece. So why am I in the middle of all this? When do we allow ourselves to become the pawns of the insurance companies, stopping our doctoring and becoming order entry people for them so they can fire off an authorization for 10 visits to see a gastroenterologist. Um, you know, the article goes on to state there's a time for a better way. It's a plea for help. And uh, it's frankly, a, it's a call to arms here. It's been a lot of complaints about the EHR and doctors spending a lot more time charting than patient care. Um, I share this today because I, I, I think that CDI specialists with a little foresight and generosity can help busy physicians better navigate the EHR. You know, it's not always about the, the query. And you mentioned this earlier, Dr. Lamoco, that's part of the job, but it's about, it's also about, um, you know, helping physicians in their day-to-day -day work. We, we know that the EHR is a major source of burnout for physicians. CDI specialists can play a role in helping to ease this burden. So, you know, maybe it's, maybe you've learned some charting shortcuts in Cerner or Epic uh, that you could help a busy physician with in two to three minutes, improving his or her workflow. Something small that might make an impact in, in 2021. Um, something I wanted to share, it's not always just about the CDI needs, it's not always about daily review metrics, but think about the, the physician who is an integral partner in this process and whom you're asking to document in the chart and, and sort of the struggles they face. So just curious, uh, Cesar, if you had any thoughts about this particular article or, or any uh, anything you might yes, want to I share do, with Brian. the I, I concur. I, I empathize with you know what what physicians are thinking and feeling nowadays and um one it's really about making sure that the industry moves from from the idea of um uh of what we had before as a volume based medicine into really a value based kind of medicine if we are all not just physicians but cdis and coders our, our primary concern is volume, about productivity. V value and quality starts to become uh, a problem. Mm -hmm. and, and if you think about what this doctor wrote here, and it is, you know, uh, it's a lot. But if I, as a physician, took the time to make sure that it was done correctly in the first place, not all, all of this, none of this 
would have happened. If I just said that, you know, uh, okay, I'm referring this patient because of such and such a symptom, blah, blah, blah. He, he, he doesn't have to go back and, and clarify and rethink and review and research and do all of that and have the payers, um, you know, come back and, and, and deny or appeals. All of these things would not have happened. And it, again, it goes back to education. If we as physicians were more cognizant that what we need here is really a good narrative, a narrative that's clear and consistent and transparent, then all of this stuff, the HR is not going to be a deterrent. It becomes more of an aid of to which it was first created in the beginning, in, in the first place. We have to be more preemptive. We have to be more cognizant. We have to make sure that we have become good storytellers. And it doesn't have to be voluminous, you know, narrative. It just needs to be concise. It needs to be clear. It needs to be transparent. All right. Good message there. Appreciate it. Dr. Lamoko. couldn't agree more. Um, let's wrap up with just a very brief Actus update. Um, whoops, didn't mean to click on that guy. Uh, just for the folks, um, you can see it on your screen here now. We are, we are betting on in 2021 a plan, if you can believe this or not, a, for a return to live events. So we have moved our national conference from its traditional place in uh, May to October. So we're going to be back in uh, back live October 25th to 28th in Dallas, Texas, and we're currently accepting speaker applications for the Actus Conference. Uh, you have through the end of the week to get an application in. It's actually very easy to do. There's a link right here on the Actus homepage. Accepted speakers get free admission as well as a co-speaker if you do have one to attend. I know that right now people are probably thinking, oh, it's crazy. I don't know what's going on with 2021. There's still a pandemic raging. Well, again, we are moving the conference to October in anticipation of a successful live event. Uh, we also are planning a couple virtual events this year like we had in 2020. And so we are looking for speakers for those as well. So we encourage you just to apply to speak and we will find the right platform for you. It's a great way to get more involved, uh, to attend our programs for free if you're, if you're selected. So get that application in. We're looking at all topics, clinical, like we heard today, managerial, coding, uh, outpatient, new initiatives you've launched, remote work. This, they're endless. So check out our application and, and apply. All right. That is going to do it for today's program. Um, we're going to be back here again in two weeks for our second show of 2021, Alex Hauser and CDI Focus. We have a case study of someone who uses Alex Hauser uh, extensively in their CDI program. So looking at some of the nuances of that, we hope you can uh, join us for that program. As a reminder, you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website. We record all these programs and post them for, for uh, re-listening or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play or Spotify. Uh, as always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, if you like today's show or you like something similar or different, send me an email. You can get me at bmurphy at actus.org. 
that will do it. Thanks again, Dr. Lamhoko. Great, great presentation today. And uh, Sharm, thank you for joining as always. And for everyone else, we'll see you back here in two weeks. Take care, everyone.